0: Any consideration at all, or we would hesitate. But not a dog. A situation of grave danger, but to protect his master. A dog would give his life. (laughs) Without a second thought, the dog would give his life for his master. The dog loves his master. And Allah says in the Qur'an, آمَنُوا أَشَّدُ حُبَّا لِلَّهِ And those who have faith are a people who have intense love for Allah. How do we measure love? We don't measure love with flat tree. We don't measure love with butter. We measure love to see how strong you are. How prepared are you to stand up firmly for the one you love? A dog not only loves his master, a dog grieves for his master when the master is not there. And when the master returns, even if it be after a long, long time, the dog immediately responds with joy, with ecstasy, and so Allah asks in the Qur'an, in to the adiyat these animals who serve you so well, who are so faithful and loyal to you, do you love me the way they love you? Are you as faithful to me as they are faithful to you? Do you serve me the way they serve you? إِنَّ الْإِنْسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودِ No, you don't. You are ever negligent. And so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should have singled out the dog and included it in the story is not meant only to provide a layup. To say this was the answer you wanted, I'm not only giving you the answer, I'm giving you more than the answer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also teaching us a lesson. When He described the dog, He gave us the position where the dog was sleeping, sitting rather, while the young man was sleeping in the cave. Zirai built Wasid The Wasid is the entrance like the gate of the cave. And the dog is sitting right there at the front of the entrance with his front paws, legs stretched out wide. Hmm? Meaning like a sentinel guarding the young men. So there is a lesson for us in the mention of the dog. Who are these young men who fled into the cave and then Allah put them to sleep and they slept for 300 years or more? Were they Christians or were they Banu Israel? Banu Israel, would be the Israelite people before the new Christianity emerged. They were all Israelites before that. In many commentaries of the Qur'an, commentators of the Qur'an were persuaded that these young men were Christians. The commentator of the Qur'an, Ibn Kathir, and that, you'll find this in your handout. Everybody have their handouts? No? Okay. The commentator of the Quran, Ibn Kathir, he disputes. This generally held view that the young men were Christian. You'll find this story in Edward Gibbon, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Very famous book. He has a story there. And uh, he says that they were Christians. But We ask the question, why would the rabbis consider the knowledge of a miracle pertaining to Christian youth who had faith in Christianity to be evidence that would confirm that the one who possessed that knowledge is indeed a true prophet. And so he suggests, as well as a few others, that no, these were not Christians. And this is a story or an event which occurred long before the time of Christianity. That these were Banu Israel, today they are called Jews. Why did they flee from their homes and from the town in which they were living. They themselves gave the answer that that town and those people were worshipping other than Allah. And to worship other than Allah does not necessarily mean worshipping an idol. No. In Surah we did we have the story about the rich man and the poor man? We did? Okay, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the rich man, because he was wealthy, he considered himself to be a somebody. Happening <laughs> all over the world, huh? I'm wealthy, I'm a somebody. And because he was poor, he's a nobody. <laughs> So his wealth corrupted him and then the poor man warned him about his conduct and warned him that Allah could take away the wealth that he had and Allah could give to the poor man something better. So said, so done. And the rich man lost all his wealth because the gardens were destroyed. And then he said, Ya leytani lam ushrik bi rabbi ahada. Woe unto me that I should have committed this act of shirk. And so, shirk is not only the worship of idols, there are other forms of shirk. Like Pharaoh, who said to Musa, alayhi Ana I am the Lord, Most High. So these young men lived in an age and amongst a people who were engaged in shirk. And they had the capacity to see and recognize that shirk. And they resisted being embraced by that shirk. It was because they resisted being embraced by that shirk that that society of shirk turned against them and waged war on them, terrorizing them, demonizing them, persecuting them, until eventually they have a choice. If you remain here, if you remain here, they're going to kill you. The only way you can remain here and live a peaceful life is if you join them. You become a part of the godless melting pot, then you can remain. And so the choice is from either becoming a part of the godless melting pot or in order to survive, you've got to disconnect you got to leave. So long as you can remain, you must remain. You must preach the truth. But when you no longer have that freedom to preach the truth, you're being tyrannized and terrorized because you are standing up for the truth. Then you must make something called Hijra. Hijra. To leave, to migrate. It is not running away. It is not a defeatist attitude. No. It is a sunnah of our father Ibrahim alayhi salam. Did he not leave? Did he not make hijrah from Babylon and go all the way to the holy land? Allah took him there. It is a sunnah of Nabi Muhammad waslam. Did he not make hijrah? Did he not leave Mecca? Was that a defeatist attitude? No, it was not. You must first demonstrate your preference for a peaceful resolution of all conflicts. Let me repeat that. You must first demonstrate a preference for a peaceful resolution of all conflicts, even if you have to flee from your homes, It is only when all peaceful methods of resolving oppression have been explored and exhausted, only then does a Muslim respond with force to defend himself and to liberate himself from oppression. Have I made myself clean? The Prophet said, alayhi salatu if you meet the enemy on the battlefield, you do not do so out of a joy of going to the battlefield to fight him, no. It is with reluctance that you go to fight. And when the fighting is about to start, you address them, is there no better way for us to resolve our conflict than by fighting? And when the fighting starts, he says, wait until the first dies from your side, a dead body. And then put that dead body in front of them and say to them, is there no other better way, peaceful way? We are prepared to accept one of our men killed by you, if you are prepared to resolve the problem peacefully, but of course with justice. And so the young men set a very important example. They didn't seek to arm themselves with missiles. (laughs) No! These are young men with faith in Allah, and a young man is a warrior. But these young men preferred to flee rather than to fight. There's a strong message here. So they fled. When you flee, where do you go? They went to the mountains. They went to a cave. This may have been a halfway house that they would rest for a while and then move on. But the Prophet said, Allah's blessings be upon him, that the time will come when a Muslim, a believer, in order to preserve his faith in Islam, would have to flee to the mountainside where rain falls, and take with him some sheep and boots. Hmm? These are the words of the Messenger of Allah. At that time, you would be like Nabi Musa alayhi salam. When he confronted Pharaoh and his mighty armed forces, all the cruise missiles, all the helicopter gunships, all the spy satellites. What did he have? What did the believers have? They fought with only one weapon. What is that weapon? The Book of Allah. As it was at that time, so again it is now that you fight with only one weapon, the Book of Allah. So when they fled into the cave, they took with them the rakim. Rakim is translated here as the sacred inscriptions, which is a book, a scripture. Hmm? And so as we pass through the war on Islam in this modern age, our most potent friend of all is the Book of Allah. Our greatest friend and helper is the Book of Allah. And whoever neglects the Book of Allah will pay the price for it. So congratulations to you that you have come to this class to study The Book of Allah. Now then, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala responded to their prayer by putting them to sleep, and they slept for three hundred years or more. فَضَرَبْنَا عَلَى أَذَانِهِمْ فِي الْكَهْفِ سِنِينَ عَالِدَةٍ. So we placed the covering over their heads, so they slept for a long, long time. In placing a covering over their ears, the first implication of course is that there will be no disturbance to disturb their sleep. But there is another very important message here. It means that they are spared being brainwashed by the propaganda warfare from CNN. ABC and NBC and the television and the radio, the sound media, the sound media has sometimes a hypnotic, magical effect upon you, that you are unconscious of what is happening and you are subtly being brainwashed and reprogrammed. And so by cutting off their hearing they are now spared being brainwashed by the propaganda war. There is a message for us here, the less you turn on your television, the better it is for you. You won't lose anything, now turning off. The only ones who will be very angry with you are the ones who are using television and using the radio to brainwash you. They will be very angry. Now how will Allah keep a people alive for 300 years without them eating food, drinking? Is there any explanation in the surah? We know about Nabi no, alayhi salam, the Prophet Noah. How long did he live? 950 years. Hmm? This one is only 300 or so. We're told in the story that the possible explanation is this and Allah knows best, that when the sun came up in the morning, وَتَرَى الشَّمْسُ إِذَا طَلَعَتْ عَنْ كَهْفِهِمْ ذَاتَ When the sun rose in the morning, the sunlight entered, to the, entered the cave and fell upon them, from the right side. And when the sun was setting, then for the second time for the day, the sunlight would enter into the cave. So at two times during the day the sunlight is entering. But something strange is happening in the cave. And if you were there to see what was happening in the cave, you get so frightened, you pull out and you run. What is it? <laughs> we cause the bodies of the young men to keep on rolling from right to left to right to left while they were sleeping. What can possibly explain this? Because Allah says La tabdila li khalqillah." The laws of nature are uniform. They don't change. Is there any explanation from nature? which would explain this phenomenon of the body is moving to the right and the left and the sunshine coming in twice a day. I want to suggest and Allah knows best that there are two very important scientific principles at work here which point to this supreme importance solar energy in the last age. The age which witnesses the war on Islam and that war on Islam is now reaching its climax. The next 50 years, I believe, are going to see the worst. The worst is coming. up. There is a scientific principle which is called Phototropism, a plant, if placed by a window, would turn and move towards the sunshine. Oh, you know that. Yeah. Attraction to sunlight. And so, the bodies could be rolling in consequence of attraction to sunlight. So when the sunlight enters on that side, they roll towards that side to get the sunlight. And when the sunlight enters on this side in the evening, the bodies roll back, attracted to the sunlight. Photo tropism. Then there's a second scientific principle: the sunlight can be transformed into energy. It's called Photosynthesis. Oh, you remember your school days now. Photosynthesis. Sunshine being transformed into energy, solar energy work. And so the bodies of the young men got that sufficient minimum amount of energy to keep the vital organs still functioning. Hmm? when we build a Muslim village, inshallah, we disconnect from a godless vulgar world and we go to the countryside. Countryside. Far from the madding crowd. And there in the countryside we build a village. The village, of course, must be self-sufficient in water. The village must be self-sufficient in food production. I will tell you why in a moment. But the village must strive also for self-sufficiency in energy, which means an exploitation of solar energy. Every time the world of Islam, or, and it is not my intention to speak disparagingly of the European people, But they are the ones who control power in the world today. Every time a non-European people who are not a part of the power circle of the world have attempted, have attempted to harness solar energy, to develop the technology for solar energy, the World Bank, the IMF, have always intervened to try to stamp it out. Because that would give you a measure of independence and they want to keep you in a state of dependence. And so the young men slept until Allah woke them up. When Allah woke them up he said, we did this لِنَعْلَمَ In the story as it comes out of the Quran, this is the most important point of all, that Allah is directing attention. He says, I have done this in order to determine which of the two groups, which of the two viewpoints can determine how long did they tarry in the cave. Which two? (laughs) There's a lot of guessing and so on going on in this. My opinion and Allah knows best. The two are the judgment of the determination of time based on external observation. And the judgment of the determination of the period of time based on an attempt to to penetrate the internal reality. These two. When they were roused from their sleep, they now asked each other, How long have we been here? Come, labithu? Some of them said, Kalu labithna yawman We, we feel as though we've been sleeping here for just a day or a part of a day. This is how it's going to be when we are raised from the grave. Even though we may have been in the grave for a thousand years, when we are raised from the grave it will feel as though we've been there for just a day or part of a day. But not all of them had this perception. There were others who felt that no, we need to penetrate the internal reality, his being, and therefore the. The second group of the young men they paused to consider that there may be more to this than meets the eye, and so they said, a'lamu bima Your Lord knows best. We are not going to take this event at just face value. She comes with the baby in her arms. No one has seen her for nine months, she disappeared. She is the most virtuous, the most pious, the most learned, the most famous girl, Jewish girl in all the land. And she has a baby in her hands. One group look at this and immediately come to the conclusion based on the external form of the she committed sin. He's is a bastard. Hmm? But, if you were seeing with two eyes, not with one, you would say, nah. No, 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 no. Let us pause. There is more to this than meets the eye. And so Surah Kaf in this story, while directing attention to the supreme importance of the subject of time, is also asking us to remind ourselves of the importance of being able to distinguish between external appearance and internal reality. Now, how many were they the young men? Some say three, some say four, some say five, some say six, some say seven, some say eight. That's not a subject for you to debate with anybody. Allah knows best. Stay away from that and proceed with the subject. But in directing attention to the subject of time and telling us that this story is connected with Dajjal, Kaf is pointing to the importance of the understanding of the subject of time if you are to understand the Antichrist or Dajjal. You must understand time. Hmm? Our teacher, Maulana Ansari, teacher of Mawlana Nasir and myself, our teacher was the master of the subject about the multidimensional nature of time. He would lecture and tell us about serial time. And then he speak about biological time. And then he speak about cosmic time. And then he speak about absolute time. And then he quote for us Hadith al qudsi Hadith al qudsi the direct words of Allah, but not in the Quran. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered, La Tasubud dahr Do not be negligent concerning the study of the subject of time. Do not disrespect time. Do not abuse time. Do not be negligent in the study of the subject of time. La tasubud dahr. For in me dahr because I, Allah. I am time. I am time. Tomorrow, inshallah, this will be the subject of our khutbah at uh, um, Princess Town. But notice something curious about time. In the age of the witness Dajjal, the Prophet said that Time will move faster and faster, a whole year will pass and it will appear to have been just a month, a whole year passed like a month, a whole month like a week, a whole week like a day, a whole day like an hour a whole hour like the amount of time it takes to kill the fire. Very famous hadith. And so, in the age of Dajjal as shirk, you remember, remember the story about Dajjal and shirk. Hmm? In the age of Dajjal as mankind is more and more embraced by shirk. And at the heart of that shirk is materialism, the dunya. As the heart turned towards the dunya, time, Moves faster. And as the heart turns away from the dunya and turns towards Allah, time moves slower. Notice when you make a tikaf, have you made a tikaf in your life? When you make a tikaf, you go into the masjid. Before the Qur'an came down we used to go all different places, a cave and a hill and so on, mountain. But now the masjid. And when you go to the masjid, can you take your TV in the masjid? No. Can you take a radio? No. Can you buy the Express and the Guardian and have it in the masjid reading? No. Can you carry your cell phone with you? No. <laughs> so when you go to perform air in the masjid, you cut yourself off from the dunya as much as is possible. When you cut yourself off from that dunya, suddenly you find time moving so slow. and moving so slow, a day so long (laughs) when you are in the masjid and your heart is tuned towards Allah. And so al Kaf is teaching you, please direct attention towards time. Time will tell you where your heart is moving. Time will tell you whether your heart is in the dunya. <laughs> I never have enough time moving so fast man. Very, very fast. Don't, fast, don't move so fast in Rio Claro or in San Fernando. Time will tell you where your heart is located. Hmm? So this is a part of the subject, I'm sorry I can't go into in greater detail, but I want to give you a taste of it so that you may develop an interest in furthering your study of the subject, of time. When Allah woke them up and you've been sleeping for 300 years or more, the first thing you will feel is hungry. So they decided to send one to go get some food. Or when they send this fellow to get some food, they tell him, take these warik. Warik. And the tafsir of the Quran declares that warik will be silver coins. The Quran speaks of money, money. And the Prophet speaks of money alayhi Islam, And money in the Quran and money in the Sunnah is always precious metals, not paper. Not paper. So he took with him these silver coins. But he was given instructions. Falyamzu Ayyuha When you go to buy the food. You make sure you examine the label, eh? The way Maulana Siddiq Ahmad Nasir never buys anything. You go with him in a supermarket, you have a lesson to learn. He watches every label. to so check it out. When you go to buy the food, go search for that food which is purest. Which is least corrupted. Indicating that in the age of Dajjal you'll also have the age of Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Inna Ya'juj wa Ma'juj mufsiduna fil Gog and Magog will corrupt everything. Everything, fasad. Including food. So food is going to be corrupted. You stop on your body, somebody, vegetables from maranguels. You know how many times they spray chemicals for the week? Do you know how many times? sometimes three times for the week they sprayed with chemicals so when you eat that all those chemicals going on inside of you secondly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a great engineer who did the genetic engineering of food food not only provides nutrition Food also has other functions to perform. Food functions as medicine. Food sustains the immune system of the body. Food, not the pharmacy. When you tamper with the genetic composition of the food that Allah had ordained, you disturb it, you reprogram it. Genetic reengineering. Yes, the crop is much bigger now. Every farmer in the world wants this new genetically modified, you make more money. But you also pay a price. What's the price? That this food that you are now eating can no longer function medicinally. And so the immune system grows weaker and weaker. And as the immune system grows weaker and weaker, A doctor had to prescribe stronger and stronger, what do they call it? Antibiotics. Hmm? Until finally your body cannot resist, cannot fight any battles. At that time even a little insect bite is enough to cause you to fall down, be paralyzed. And that's how Gagan Maga will be destroyed in the Hadith. Hmm? And so clearly, uh, oh yes, 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 let me forget about the milk. When you feed the animal with genetically modified feed, and when you inject the animal with hormone injections to increase milk production, to increase meat production, yeah, you're making more money. But you have disturbed the internal composition of the food, in consequence of which it can no longer function medicinally. And so the young men were told go and search for that food which is purest. Implication for us as we look around today and we see all around us food being corrupted is that if we are serious about being Muslims we have to produce our own food. We have to be self-sufficient in food production. Imam is here. I hope you are listening. Produce your own food, be self-sufficient in food production, and your food must be the best. Every five-star hotel will want to buy from what you produce, because this is the best. The young man went down and tried to buy some food, but when he presented the coins, perhaps we now only, this is not in the Quran, this we are uh, inferring that these coins are out of date because coins have to be constantly minted, minted, minted. So when when the people saw these coins 300 years ago, they began asking questions. And then it led them to the young men in the cave. But something dramatic had happened during the 300 years, that an essentially godless world which was waging war on the believers, terrorizing them, tyrannizing them, seeking to bring them into the godless melting pot. So, that all of is one, essentially godless. That godless world had passed away, and a new dawn had come, in which those who now lived in the world were a people who had faith in Allah. The truth had emerged triumphant over falsehood. Surah al-Kaf is sending a message of hope. Do not give up while this evil storm is blowing through the world. Because one day the storm will end and the sunshine will come. They decided, we know That they had become a people who had faith in Allah. Because when they decided what, the young men probably didn't live long after they were woken up, they died soon after. And and they wanted to build a monument. How can we preserve the memory of this miracle? Hmm? Build a statue of liberty? Huh? No. they decided to build a masjid. And by deciding on a masjid, house of Allah, this is the indication that this was a world which had now turned to Allah. The passage concerning the young men proceeds now to tell us something more. That when the Arabs, the Quraysh had come to the Prophet Muhammad and said, answer these three questions if you are indeed a true Prophet. He said, I'm going to give you the answer tomorrow. And he forgot to say, insha'Allah. My opinion, and Allah knows best, is that that didn't happen by accident? Allah caused him to forget. Hmm? Allah knows best. Anyhow, he forgot to say, Insha'Allah. And so, Surah Al Kaf now concludes the story by saying, وَلَا لِشَيْءٍ ذَلِكَ غَدًا إِلَّا And do not say of anything, I'm going to do this tomorrow, without saying, please God, if Allah so wills. In this there is a trademark that Surah al-Kaf is directing attention to. That the age of Dajjal will witness a world in which nobody says, Insha'Allah. It is now something, a, a sign of backwardness that this should be on your lips. Insha'Allah. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Masha'Allah. When you leave your own group of believers and you go outside of it and you now interact with the godless world and these expressions naturally come out of your lips it becomes something strange for conversation because this departs from social dialogue. When you see, insha'Allah, departing from discussions, from language, you have a sign as big as a mountain. This is the work of job. Let us end there for today. And uh, when we come back, insha'Allah, uh, next week, we have a fascinating, really fascinating part of the surah to which we must now turn. Which one? Gog and Magog. So we look forward inshallah to seeing you next Thursday. رَبَنَا مِنَّا